Hi lovely, welcome to Bloom Best Stories. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Kate, I'm a passionate mama of three and a doula and I absolutely adore listening to women share their sacred birth stories. This is a loving space just for that. Each week I'll be chatting to women across Australia as they share their unique, very special journey to baby. In today's episode of Bloom Birth Stories, I'm chatting with the very beautiful Ashley, who shares with us her two births, the first in hospital with a private midwife and then her home birth. She also shares her journey with her darling son, Ollie, who has a rare genetic disorder, the challenges she's faced, how she's going and what that looks like for her family moving forward. I'm sure you'll love listening to this very inspiring mama. Welcome, Ash. Thank you so much for joining me and sharing your precious stories with us. Thank you so <laughs> um, much for having me. Aw. And before we dive right in, would you like to share a little bit about you and your family and how you are? Yes. So my name's Ashley and I have two boys, Harrison and Oliver, and a husband, Chris, and we live on the Sunshine Coast. And mm-hmm. Yeah, we're just doing life like so many other people right now. Yeah, sunny coast, so beautiful. So nice, so nice. (laughs) Yeah, so how old are your boys? So Harrison is just four in August um, and Ollie is like 20 months. 20 months, 21 months. I always lose track after that year and a half. Like how do you say? (laughs) How old are you? Yeah. And... um, so tell us about your conception. How was that a big journey for you? Or yeah, we've been very lucky both times that it hasn't taken particularly long. With Harrison, it was kind of a surprise, but not really in regards to having unprotected sex. Um, <laughs> but we were actually getting married. Um, I think I had planned the wedding, sent the invitations out, and then we kind of just had a sneaky little sesh that ended up being Harrison. So yeah. I was actually 22 <laughs> weeks pregnant at my wedding. Oh, that's so cute. I don't, it was nice, but I probably wouldn't recommend that to many people because yeah. you don't get to enjoy the champagne and I drove right. people home. It was crazy. <laughs> but anyway. Oh, such so, so a special memory yeah. though, and then you can look back and tell me. Yeah. <laughs> it's very cute. He looks at our wedding photos and he's like, oh, I was in your belly. I'm like, yeah, oh, very cute. Very sweet. Yeah. And yeah. how was your but, pregnancy? Um, it, was, it was good. I, I'm also, I hate to say it, but I, I really enjoy pregnancy. I know so many people have mm. A, such a hard time conceiving and then B, having a rough pregnancy. Um, but we'll get to my story later where I've had a rough time. Um, but it was really good. My hardest, probably the hardest part was I had really low iron. I'm historically anemic. So that definitely hit me later on in pregnancy and I did end up having really low low hemoglobin so I had to really focus on getting that back up before birth um that was kind of my biggest concern I was oh yeah I really love being pregnant and I love a pregnant belly that's really fun so do I it's so beautiful it's so nice <laughs> and yeah model of care for uh his yes birth and stuff so I I'm in a kind of a group of people that's very much into home birth and kind of more natural birth, um, which is nice. And I, I did consider home birth, but I just didn't feel ready that first time around. And I did go to my first appointment at the hospital, I think at like 16 weeks, maybe. I just think that at the time, I just didn't know what was available, even though I had friends doing different things. It just didn't seem, I don't know, it's weird. You go to the GP and they're just send you to the hospital and you kind of just go that way but luckily I was doing a like early pregnancy yoga course with a friend and she suggested meeting up with private midwives Um, and on the Sunshine Coast there's a group that's amazing because they also can work out of the hospital they have rights at the local hospital so you pretty much just rent in a room um, at school and you have your own private midwife which is a good option for if you want that security at the hospital, but your own team. Yeah, that um, continuity of care. Yeah. 
so that was really good. So I came in a bit late to the game though. So I was around 20 weeks um, just before the wedding to meet with them. So I did, they still had a spot left, but in hindsight, maybe I should have met with other midwives just to find the right fit. Mm. I feel like, yeah, I kind of just said yes when maybe I should have just seen what other kind of energy was out there. But it was still, I'm still grateful that we also had the financial means to access that because it's still not super cheap. Yeah. But, yeah, <laughs> it was good to have that continuative care. It was amazing. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> yeah. And in the lead up to his birth, did you do anything to prepare for birth? Did you do any courses yes. or how were you feeling? Yes. So we did hypnobirthing, which was, it was really good for both of us. Um, Great for the husbands, which I hear very often, um, which was really nice. And it was very, it's funny, post his birth, we were kind of like, why did we do that? It was pointless, but it is good. It is good. (laughs) Um, And I had a very, after the wedding at least, um, quite a relaxing pregnancy. I really tried to be pretty calm and ate really well I was one of those people that was super perfect with cutting everything out and yeah I tried to do all of that kept moving my body I was actually very comfortable considering how big Harry was in my belly we still go to the beach each day just trying to yeah I felt heavily prepared I listened to birth stories every day did the meditation on the hypnobirthing every day and you just think you're you think you're prepared sometimes the path awaiting you isn't yeah. quite as you imagined. <laughs> I know. Yeah. What you mean. <laughs> yeah, it's tricky. Um, and like we had the private midwife, so you're like, okay, I'm good. I've got a solid foundation going into this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And how mm-hmm. did um that all come to be? Did you go over your estimated due date or so my waters broke at 40 plus two. Mm-hmm. Um it was like, so I'm pretty sure it was a Saturday, maybe it was a Friday or Saturday night at like nine o'clock and just out of a sudden, just a big gush. It wasn't one of those, oh, I think I've wet myself. It was like, no, this is definitely my waters yeah. splashing all over the place. That was a big, <laughs> I think it shocked me a little bit. I was like, oh, wow, okay, this is happening. Yeah. But alas, nothing really happened. <laughs> which was disappointing yeah so that was a Saturday night Mm -hmm. now I remember Saturday night so then all of Sunday the midwife came over she just checked me made sure it was the waters was all good it was like clear waters so that was fine and just to like relax and she said go for a walk but I just had horrific diarrhea for so long (laughs) I'm like I cannot leave this house (laughs) but that really messed with me I was just like if I go anywhere I need a bathroom within a few steps. So (laughs) in hindsight, I should have tried just to get out of that and just snap out and go for a walk. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I just kind of sat around the house and we watched, I think we watched the office and just kind of waited and I sat on the ball and I moved around and just nothing happened. Nothing really happened. Were you feeling nervous because there was that element of time or there was no pressure yeah I think I was in a way I was just I mean I thought I knew so much but I didn't know that many people or that many stories of people just hanging out with nothing happening after your waters had broken like I know you could have early labor but I just don't think I knew enough at the time about that waiting game I now know a lot more about that and how you can go for more days if you're getting observed more but I just don't think I was offered that information either by my midwife at the time it Mm. was kind of like well we'll just wait and then we'll have to go to the hospital after a certain time if for the risk of infection Mm -hmm. which is fair and I know in the public system you're only given around 24 hours so I was given I think it was like 35 hours or something but I kind of wish in hindsight I'd gotten acupuncture or something to help push me along but yeah 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 it wasn't happening so I think late Sunday night I think I mentally lost it and I was just like I think I need to go to the hospital just to be there maybe I just need to be in the space and that'll kick things off um yeah so I think we then packed up and headed in but again nothing was really happening they were just like super mild cramps every now and then 
So okay, um, yeah, that was super when, disappointing. So you were feeling you weren't uh, feeling like emotionally stressed out or anything. You were just kind of cruising and just eager, or yeah, I, I think I did spin myself into a bit of a knot mentally mm-hmm. because I wasn't sure what was happening. And I wish maybe, I mean, it's always hindsight. I wish maybe my midwife had like had a sit down chat with me being like, it's okay. Just try and rest. But I just couldn't snap out of it. So I think my mind was just going off chops a little bit. So I just thought, okay, let's just go in. I'll be in there. And then mm-hmm. things will progress. So I think we're in there at like 7.30 at night. I think they gave me like doll or something ridiculous. They checked. I was only like three centimeters maybe. And I think I just vomited up the tablets they gave me and then just went to the whatever the room was that's not the main birthing suite <laughs> and just kind of, yeah, hung out overnight hoping things would move along. But, again, they didn't. So it was just a really slow, <laughs> slow time. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sometimes, sometimes these things, like you said before, how could we – we can't possibly know everything and birth is, you know, it's, it looks so different for so many and you probably probably wouldn't have expected for your waters to break and then to be in this position, you know. (laughs) Definitely not. I don't know why, like I know now that I guess it's semi-common, but it seems as though most people, their waters break a bit later on or like really close or things definitely kick off, but that was just not the way. And in movies, it's always like, oh, big splash, quick, get to the hospital. Like, it's yes. just funny how we're pre-programmed for a certain way. But, yeah, it's not happening. Yeah, so laboured through the night, did not sleep much. So this was pretty much the second night that I was labouring mm-hmm. through this, even though it wasn't intense. Like, there was definitely not a lot happening. It was more just a mental game. But, yeah, the midwife came back the next morning around 7 and got, uh, yeah, augmented. So they popped in that syntocinin and uh, away we went. Alas, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Not not how I had imagined. (laughs) I was like, I'm going to avoid that. I'm not going to get induced. I really don't want an epidural. Like I was the whole, yeah. Yeah, but um. That's mm. fine. And and how were you feeling after that point, like physically? I was exhausted, honestly, by this point. Like it's really hard to look back and see all the things that could have maybe happened differently. But by this point, I hadn't really slept for two nights. I hadn't really eaten at all that day. I was just so nervous that I was like, I just don't want, I don't feel like eating, but I really should. So I hadn't eaten much. My partner had hardly slept or eaten either. So we were just both a bit of a mess by the time that started. And obviously once you get the Sinto um, or whatever induction to just kick things along. I think you need to start off with a lot more energy than what I had um, at that point. And they also started antibiotics because of the infection. So risk of infections had been, I think around 40, must've been 30 hours, 34 hours since my waters had broken. So yeah, it was a lot for your body to kick into especially I was living such a natural like hardly took Panadol life so yeah that was that was a lot but um yeah so they kicked that off in the morning and I just rolled with it but I hardly moved I was just so tired that I think I just sat on the bed rolling through the waves of yeah the the Sinto and it was just intense and induced labors are very very different to a natural labor now that I've experienced both and whew, they hit you for six. It's just, it just obviously is a fake kind of contraction. So it's pushing your body into something that it might not essentially be ready for. Um, so that was really rough. I've definitely heard good instu- induction stories now, but yeah, mine was not, not one of them. Um, yeah. So I just kept going through the day and I think by 4 PM, I was in the pool at this point. I was still only, I think after so many hours, I was still only maybe four centimetres. Like it was that awful moment when you get told <laughs> you've hardly progressed and you're dying a little bit. Um, so I was in the pool trying to like just relax. And it. I just got this sudden pushing feeling 
like the most uncontrollable. And the midwife is like, no, you don't need to push yet. Like it's not ready yet. Um, and I knew technically I wasn't, but now I know that you can get that early push in phase when you have a posterior baby. And he was actually posterior in the end. Um, and that is them trying to turn around. So I think if I knew that information, I wouldn't have panicked, but I definitely panicked at that moment because I couldn't control it, but I knew it wasn't time for him to come out. So I, I ended up getting an epidural at that point. So I think I was a couple of hours in and got that. I was like, I can't do this. I can't do it. So yeah, I got that epidural in and that calmed everything down, which helped me open up. I just knew at that point I could not keep going without my, I was just so tense in my body mm. that I was not going to be able to relax enough to let him come out. So it was time to step up and just, yeah, get the epidural in. And it definitely helped. Did not feel that needle go in for a second when some people like, oh, my God, I was so scared. I'm like, my gosh, once you're in the throes of labour, you don't even feel it. It is um, totally fine. So, yeah. And how did you one. feel after you had the epidural? Did you have any, uh, like, side effects with that? Any? Did you get any shakes or anything? Not a, not a lot. Uh, uh, Post-birth, I definitely got some shakes, but. It wasn't too bad. And then everything just felt like it really calmed down. It was nighttime by this time again. So this is like two nights in, um, sun had gone down. So it just felt like the whole room calmed. All the people kind of cleared out. I had a, my other backup midwife by this point because it had been so long. My main midwife had to go home. But, yeah, it just it felt like we all could have a breather. I think Chris, my husband, actually went out and got some hot chips. Like it just took it down a notch, everyone calmed down. And it was yeah, really, nice. it for that, for that stage, it was much needed. Um, yeah. So I think I must've been around 4.30 or 5. I got the epidural and it wasn't until 11, maybe 10.30 that I started pushing. I think I was pushing for around an hour for him. Um, but yeah, it, I could still kind of move my legs, but not a lot. I kind of wish I hear now like these walking epidurals, those would be nice, but um. I was so tired anyway, so the whole on the bed pushing. Another thing I thought, I will definitely not be on the bed pushing. I know that's not the right way to push. <laughs> but uh, you get very humbled by certain situations. So, um, yeah, it, um, after about an hour, he came out and oh, that was, I think it was 54 hours in the end from water's break in to him wow. coming, coming earth side. Yeah, it was wild. It was one of the most humbling, challenging experiences. Yeah. It was, yeah. Oh, so nice. And and how did you feel when, when you had him on your chest? Honestly, it was actually not how I had imagined. I was so tired. Chris was tired. I honestly just wanted to roll over and go to bed. It was really heartbreaking. I thought mm-hmm. by the end of all that, I'd have that immediate like, oh, my God, this is the love of my life in my arms. I thought Chris would cry, I would cry, but we were just like shells of humans. <laughs> it was really sad. So that's a really hard, oh, yeah. I think yeah. that's that's more common than we hear of and uh, definitely. very normal. Yeah. Yeah, it took a long time to like connect and regain both of both of us really Mm. um but yeah he was the most scrumptious he was a big baby so that probably didn't help the entire situation so in a way having my private midwives was also amazing because I know that they wouldn't have let me go so long if I was just in the public system and he probably would have ended up being c-section even my midwife said that my bloody midwife when she came back the next day that had to go home she was like oh when I left, I thought you were getting a C-section. Like, oh, she didn't even have faith in me. <laughs> um, yeah. But anyway, so it was still, I was still happy that I had a vaginal birth, which was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and how was your postpartum and all of that? It was just all downward, downward spiral. So obviously I was lucky with conception and pregnancy, but I got whacked hard postpartum. So obviously coming off all of the medication and everything from birth. I had a second degree tear and 
he was just such a big baby that he just, I know this is quite common, like big babies are just really hungry. So mm-hmm. he was just constantly waking up every two hours. He just was, he was ready for the world, but very loud about it. And we just mm-hmm. didn't really get much sleep. And my husband travels a lot for work. So he was away and my mum wasn't around. It was just like a bit of a mess. There was a good nine months of really hard, a hard time. Postpartum depression definitely hit me for six. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I know that's more quite common, but oh, nothing oh, can pay you for that. Common, but, you know, we need to talk about it. And yeah. it's serious too. It's not just, you know, feeling sad. It's dark and sometimes yeah. scary. Yeah, it's really dark. And the thing is, like, I had... I had the postpartum care. So I had someone visiting me every week for six weeks. I thought I had things in place, but I think I didn't have a deep community around me. I was quite lonely. So I think that really, yeah, it made it really hard. So I learned a lot Mm. during that time, but at the end of the day, like he was such a healthy, thriving little guy, little big guy that just, yeah, he was smashing through all of his milestones and everything. So it's just interesting with some perspective I have now that it doesn't make it easier. It does not make depression any easier, but knowing that at least your child at the end of the day is healthy and thriving, that does still give you a sense of, well, at least I've accomplished that one thing in my day, even though it's been so hard and so Mm. dark, I know he's okay. Mm. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's, so, it's tough. Did you feel yourself coming out of that at some point? Like you could, you started to feel better, or yeah, I think I definitely should have accessed help sooner on. But I think after around six months, I did go to a doctor. I did get um, mental health plan and started seeing my psychologist again, and got a few things kind of in action there. I may have, I think I went to my parents' house for a while and got a bit more support and. By that point, I'd really established a good mother's group. So it just started to, yeah, lighten me up a bit then. And, um, yeah, yeah. once he was also, like, started with solids, that helped a bit because the all of the energy required for breastfeeding, <laughs> a little chunker, um, wasn't as needed. So mm-hmm. that definitely You got a bit of a breather. Yeah, yeah, and wasn't required so often. So other people could take him for slightly longer chunks of time without him <laughs> screaming the house down for boob. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that definitely helped. Yeah. And mm. so, Precious Ollie, when did you think about having your next baby? When was that on so the horizon? around that, yeah. Um, I mean, we've always wanted around three three kids has always been kind of our, our vision sometimes I see four but now I don't think that would be <laughs> for me. um but around that year and a half I really started to get that urge of oh I really want to have a sibling for Harry um yeah that kicked in and it's funny when you start to get that feeling it's almost like that's all you can think about <laughs> I just yeah. want another baby now um, I know that feeling well. Yeah. <laughs> assuming, <isn't it? laughs> right. You're like, all I can think about is a baby. Um, yeah. So I think I was, I think we maybe started around a year and a half or when maybe Harry was, oh, maybe one year and eight or nine months or something. It did take three cycles. Chris wasn't super aware of us trying. He was like, yeah, okay. Didn't think about it. But um, I was obviously paying more attention. And it was actually, yeah, so similar with both. It took around that three months of trying but not trying kind of a thing. We've been really lucky like that that we haven't had to work particularly hard. Um, And, yeah, so little Ollie, although it was COVID times, so this was early 2020, and the world was kicking off with its wild, wild times. Um, and so we conceived in April of 2020. And I don't think we particularly could foresee how bad, how bad the world was going to get. Um, yeah, so we just, we just went for it. And it caused a few things down the track. It was a very, very stressful pregnancy 
from the outside world. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, what yeah. was your care throughout your pregnancy with Ollie? You had a home birth this time around. I did. Yes. Yeah. So this time I was like going full full home birth this time because I really I just. I think some people question me with this. They're like, but your first birth was so hard. Why did you go home birth? But it didn't make me lose faith in birth. I trusted birth so much um, that I was like, I know it can be better than this. And I really want to try to get that birth that I'd kind of always dreamed of. Um, Obviously medical system is there and it's amazing and it's so necessary for so many different situations. But if I could, I would really love to try for a home birth. Um, so I actually went with a different midwife at the same clinic that my friends had been with and they raved about uh, this other midwife. And I could just tell immediately that she really vibed with me. She was like that kind of stronger mama bear that I needed. Um, and, yeah, that was really nice. So immediately clicked and she really, she almost was the first one that offered like, you should try home birth. I'm like, I know I should. Um, so that was really nice, really, really good to have a different um different kind of care although my first midwife was also amazing with postpartum she was yeah couldn't fault her there so everyone has their everyone has their strengths um but yeah so went down the route of a home birth this time around uh yeah it was really good <laughs> yeah and um before we chat about the birth um so did you want to chat a little bit about Ollie? Because I was just wondering um, with him, was mm. anything uh, picked up in your pregnancy? Not at all. So our gorgeous little Ollie has an extremely rare genetic mutation that has caused caused us all some grief um, during his short, um, almost two years of life. But no, pregnancy was totally fine. All the scans were totally fine. Everything looked good. He was measuring on a slightly smaller side. So my first son, Harrison, was pretty much 98th percentile the whole time. Um, So when Ollie measured it, I think it was a 20-week scan, he was measuring 34th percentile, which from the outside people thought, like, no, that's fine. You know, you're a small person because I am quite a small person. Um, but in my head, I just, I remember having this inkling of like, ooh, that's interesting. That's a very big difference mm. from Harry. Um, that was the first little red flag I had, but everything else was fine. Like, yeah, yeah. I didn't have a lot of scans. So I just did the typical, we kind of do the eight week and then the 12 and 20. So there were no, no further scans after that. But um, all of his measurements at birth were also pretty average. So, mm. yeah. Yeah. And mm. then went on to have a beautiful home birth with him. Tell us about that. Yes. Yes. It was so nice. So he was a Christmas baby. Also, whew, who has babies in the middle of summer? <laughs> a couple of days after Christmas. Um, anyway, probably would not plan that one again. Um, so it was the 28th of December. Um so the Christmas tree was still up. I was really asking Chris to put that darn Christmas tree away. I didn't want Christmas vibes, but anyway, he, my water again. So again, my waters broke first. So my waters broke at around 4 a.m., um, maybe 4.30, just another big gush. I was like, nearly didn't make it to the toilet. And I just thought, cool, we're on. This is happening. Um, but again, nothing happened for hours. So I, we pretty much put on Bridgerton. And I think I may have got too much into Bridgerton that it caused my labor to not progress a lot. Um, so, yeah, I was way into that show. Turned that off around probably 1 or 2 p.m. because nothing was still really happening. Very, very mild contractions. Um, and I just went in my zone. So I went upstairs in my little bubble and just put some music on, meditation, and I just really tried to just sink into the birth and be like, this is happening. And I had a huge emotional release. I had a full cry meltdown just thinking, oh God, this cannot go like Harrison's. I need this to be different. Um, And it really helped because things kicked off around four o'clock. I got the more consistent, um, very manageable contractions come in every couple of minutes. And it was just 
oh, I can't tell you how different it was to experience uh, natural unmedicated labour. It just felt so much better to get those breaks in between, to have the rhythm, to be able to just flow with it and also not having to think, should I have to get to the hospital? It was really nice to be at home. Um, yeah, and then midwife, my midwife arrived around 6.30. I think Chris ended up messaging her and she just observed kind of from a distance. By this point, all I could say, I just remember being like, I'm just really tired. I just want to go to bed. Um, and I obviously could not go to bed. But at this point, I was just like sitting on the ground, like in a crouch kind of position. And I was just visualizing Ollie coming down, just like every time there was a contraction, I just could visualize this downward force helping him to come down, which was, um, I think, really helped. But eventually, I think it might have been around time totally is warped at this point. I mean, 7.30 or 8 o'clock. Things weren't really moving much faster. I was still just in the same pattern. So my midwife did suggest just getting up and moving around a little bit. So I did. I just kind of got up and swayed around and was in the bathroom for a little bit, just kind of leant over the bench. And I just suddenly got that like, you know, when your voice changes to yeah. that like that, like deeper grunt. You turn and into an like, animal. <laughs> yeah. I think everyone was a bit surprised. I like, I think it took everyone by shock a bit because Chris was like, oh, we are in for another really long night. Um <laughs> But we were not. So then when my midwife heard me doing that, by this point also Chris had half filled the pool, um, which was great, even though I thought, you're joking. There's no way I'm getting in that anytime soon. Um, but it took me by surprise too. I hadn't even used the shower by this point. All I had been doing was like sitting on the ground. Um, but, yes, yeah, so I got that really like grunty animal sound. So the midwife was just like, do you want to get in the pool? I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll get in. So it must have been around nine that I just – jumped in the pool and 18 minutes later, Ollie was out. It was just wow. like, bam, in there. Oh, yeah, those, the sound I made were guttural. Um, Amazing. And he did that little like pop out and it kind of popped back in and I was like, no, you're staying out. <laughs> so I like held on a bit. But then I knew the midwife's like, stop, don't push too hard. You don't want to tear. I'm like, okay. Oh, it was so hard. But um. But also it felt so easy compared to Harry. It was just like, oh, he just blah, 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 plopped out. And then, yeah, <laughs> just Amazing. suddenly on my chest. Oh. And I think I did go into a bit of a shock, like, oh, shit, that, um, that oh. just happened. And he did, he took a minute to breathe. So um, he, he came out, though, and I could see that he was awake. He was looking around. He was just ultra calm, just scanning the room, but the midwives did kind of jump in around a minute, I think, and just gave him a few puffs of oxygen just on me there at home. And then he started crying and he's, I think there's Apgar scores. They're all okay after that. But that was a hot minute of, is everything okay? Um, but yeah, I know that, that I've heard that can be quite common um, in home birth, calm births anyway. Um, so I wasn't too concerned, but oh my gosh, the look on Chris's face was like, oh, what's happening? And I'm like, no, it's fine. <laughs> You'll be fine. Um, yeah. But then after that, it was all good. Kind of got out of the bath, oh, pushing that placenta out felt like the hardest part of that entire labor. Uh, <laughs> like could not do it by the end, but yeah, that came out. And then we just kind of cuddled up in bed. He got weighed and measured and yeah, his weights and measurements were all, they were all average on the smaller side, um, especially in comparison to Harry. So, for example, Harry was born with a 38-centimetre head when Ollie was 33.5, which um, 33.5 can be pretty average, but as time progressed, it caused some issues. And, um, yeah, his weight, he was only 3.2 kilos, which I know, again, is average, but Harry was 4.35, so it felt like he was the tiniest baby on earth. I'm like, oh, my gosh, yeah. this tiny little thing was crazy. Um, yeah, but it felt like everything was okay. Like, we just kind of, it was nice. Those first few weeks obviously are hard with all the hormones crashing and everything going wild, but, like, I had that immediate connection and it was just 
beautiful and I just wanted to share it and just be so excited. And I was like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. I did it. I really did that all on my own. Um, so it felt, yeah, it felt amazing. And I really, so really cool. enjoyed that experience. Yeah. And having had a little taste of postpartum depression that first time around, were you feeling nervous about experiencing that again or did you do anything to prepare differently to support yourself through that yeah I definitely I definitely had some nerves but I did work a lot during Ollie's pregnancy I was seeing my psychologist a lot doing a lot of birth preparation um and my psychologist is amazing because she works a lot with meditation and alternative kind of modalities to kind of get you in a good state so I didn't do hypnobirthing or anything this pregnancy I mainly listened to birth stories, read, um, I read Rhea Dempsey birth with confidence, which I thought was incredible because it yeah. was amazing that it's like face the discomfort. It's not like la-ti-da, ignore it all. You'll have a pain-free birth. It was like, it will be uncomfortable that you've just got to charge into it. And I really loved that. Mm. And I used that a lot mm. um, during his birth, but um, yeah, I worked a lot on mental stuff and I even had an appointment already booked a week after Ollie's birth with the psychologist just to check in and see how everything was going. And my mom was there for a bit longer. I had more food ready. It was, um, yeah, it felt really calm. It, I'm not going to deny that it was still hard. I was still on the floor sobbing for a few days with the baby blues. And I did, I remember then being like, Oh no, do not go down that path again. Mm. Um, but yeah, with, with support, I definitely could get back up um, and feel good. But as, as you know, um, a few weeks later, my whole world got rocked so badly with Ollie's um, complications that kind of came from that. So do you want me to go a little bit more into what yeah. unfolded briefly? If, if you're happy to share whatever you're comfortable yeah. sharing. Yeah, definitely, because it's definitely not a huge amount of people I feel like everyone just in the end has healthy babies even though no matter how hard your birth or labors are it mm. feels like most people still get healthy babies in the end but um yeah all these six week post um postpartum checks so that's the last appointment with your midwives um they just noted that his head wasn't growing um so he'd only grown around a centimeter since birth really which is is a bit alarming. It's not something to kind of mess around with. So they kind of thought maybe he just had um, his fontanelle had closed early. So they didn't give me too much alarm, but enough to make me think something might be wrong. And I just hadn't really picked anything up until then. I just thought he was a little baby. He was fine. He was so calm. He was still gaining weight okay. Um, But they recommended to go see a GP. And then I saw a GP and she probably wasn't the best one to see, but she was just immediately like, you should be concerned. I'm going to send you to an emergency appointment with a pediatrician. Um, and I was just really, really sad that maybe I got bad luck, ended up having bad luck with the, with the medical team that I ended up seeing because they just sent you with the worst possibilities when maybe they could have been a bit... I don't know, a bit more positive about it. But, um, yeah, we sadly saw the pediatrician at 10 weeks old and he just said prepare for a really hard life. He's, his head wasn't growing, so that's he's technically – so he's got microcephaly, which essentially just means small head, but that was his main diagnosis for a really long time. And it went through uh, for a good, a good year, just a plethora of MRI, CT scans. They thought he'd have severe brain damage, that he wouldn't be able to walk or talk or connect or communicate. Um, they thought he'd have seizures. They kind of just prepared you for wow. the absolute worst. And it was the most horrific experience of my life. Coming off the high of a home birth, it then felt like that whole empowering experience just got completely robbed I second-guessed everything. I questioned all my choices. I just, yeah, it was, I would say it was far worse than the depression, but they're just their own beasts and I would not wish either upon anyone. And it was just really sad that it would put so much work into having this really peaceful, calm experience and hopefully an amazing postpartum. But, um, yeah, that was not 
the way for us. So little Ollie has very, he's quite delayed. So he has developmental delays. He didn't start rolling until he was around nine months old. He was always really calm, but you could just tell, yeah, it wasn't going to be quite okay. And he has um, a lot of feeding issues. So he pretty much stopped gaining weight around six months old and he's now fed through an NG tube and he on a wait list for a G tube, which goes straight into the belly. And I just got thrown into this whole world of medical mum and I was by no means prepared for that. It was a wild, humbling journey again because you just see things can go wrong and it's no one's fault and sometimes the dreams you have for what's ahead aren't what's actually destined for you and to learn how to accept and grow and still find joy in the journey you've been given was almost felt impossible so many times but you just have to find a way because you can't live in darkness the whole time you just have to see things in a different light so yeah it's been a huge journey Wow, I just can't mm. imagine. And so you have a diagnosis now, yes? Yes. So a year and a half. It took a year and a half to get finally get genetics. So pretty much all of our um, tests had come back pretty normal. So his brain where they thought, so sometimes the brain damage can occur in the womb, during birth, any any time really then sometimes it has absolutely no explanation. Um, so they're expecting parts of his brain to be missing or to have smooth grooves or something wrong with the cerebellum. There was all these different theories around what was causing his head to not grow. But it came back normal. His head came back. His brain was formed normally but just really small, which really stumped a lot of the professionals. So we finally got... Um, kind of full genome panel testing. So they go through a lot of pretty much like 20,000 different parts of your genetics, Um, but they were pinpointing certain ones that would reflect the the way he was presenting. And we were actually pretty lucky that they found what the issue was. So he has um, a genetic mutation called LMNB2, primary related microcephaly and at the time he was only one in six in the world to be given this diagnosis Um, I think a few more have been found now but it's only quite a new thing that's been discovered so there's no research um, but there should be more hopefully in the future but it's also a de novo genetic mutation which means it's not inherited or passed down from the parents So that was a big relief because we would still love to have another child. And I just, I didn't know how you'd go forward if you have a high chance of it happening again. You have to go through IVF and that just doesn't seem like an easy path. Yeah, yeah, so it was equally relieving to have an answer because for a very long time I blamed myself that I did something to ruin this poor baby's life. But um, no, it was just a fluke of bad bad luck day of conception they say is when something just tweaks a bit wrong and yeah it just sends you on a different path oh, mm. but isn't he a darling though like he's he is oh, oh my gosh he's his soul is just so pure and so happy and he has just had to go through such a hard time but he's just so happy to be here he's just like plodding along, happy to be awake, ready to get out for the day. He's very interactive. We're very lucky that he's still, he's so social. He just wants to be with everyone, hang out. And he does, we're learning some sign language now that he's doing really well with. And he lets you know when he needs something and he's started to crawl now and he's pulling himself up on furniture. So it's still, it's different to how we imagine, but I, yeah, I always keep thinking that I would never have chosen this path and it's really hard, but it's made me a much better person, far more trauma-informed, empathetic, aware of all the things that can just, just happen and you have to just roll with it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, like, obviously this has been so challenging for you and for your family, but being the mum, what do you do to, like, support yourself through it? Oh, it's a hard question. (laughs) I honestly didn't. I didn't do much for a long time and I do feel like that may have been part of, not part of the problem, but I didn't nourish myself enough of what I, I needed. So I think now I'm definitely taking a little bit more time to myself here and there to regain my sanity and my strength. And my husband and I have definitely had to go through some big conversations and yeah, we've definitely, it, it rocks you because how you never have those conversations for having a child about what would we do if we had a disabled child um, mm-hmm. and how you both address that. That was a really hard thing last year about how, how we both presented ourselves in that situation. We're very, very different from each other. So that was extremely challenging, but no, we're at, we're at a good place now. I think everyone's, we've kind of obviously now settled into more of acceptance that this it is what it is and we can't change it. And he's still amazing. It's not how we had ever envisioned our lives going, but I think now there's that more acceptance of it and knowing what it is. We're not just going crazy and yes. yeah, we, um, yeah, moving forward now. Yeah. So I definitely am just trying, I'm, I'm more gentle on myself now that, yeah, I think the blame was a big one that really hit me to the core as the mother who grew this child. You just thought this is my responsibility was to grow a healthy child. And everyone says, as long as they're healthy, as long as they're healthy, but when they're not, it's, um, it kind of has a sense of shame or something attached to it in society where it's like, well, they're not thriving. And that's kind of on you as the mother, that's how it feels. So that always hit exceptionally Mm. hard. Um, and he was always just smaller. So I found it quite interesting. He now has an NG tube, which is, a, is on your face that goes straight into your nose. And he obviously has tape on his face and people are far kinder and more helpful and empathetic because they can see it. It's just a societal thing that if they look healthy, people don't seem to give you as much support. Mm. But if it's obvious that something's going on, yeah, people have really showed up more. So it's been a fascinating, mm. such an eye-opening journey. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, it's hard. So kids that have obviously things that aren't, you know, autism or other like mental things that aren't as obvious, it must just be impossible to navigate that knowing that you have that extra effort required to exist. Yeah. But yeah, it's kind of hidden. It's a strange, mm. yeah. Yeah, it's tough. And so moving forward now, mm-hmm. I know that you've shared that your desires for another baby one day, like how are you feeling now? Is that on the horizon? It definitely is. Um, I don't know when you're going to publish this, but I am actually pregnant now. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So Congratulations. It was, it was, it was yeah. Oh. Yeah, we just, I think we were waiting. Well, this baby was definitely waiting to know that it wasn't something. So there's a less than 1% chance of it happening again, which still definitely sits on my mind. But pretty much everyone has a less than 1% chance mm-hmm. of something occurring. So I think you just have to let your hopes be stronger than your fears. And we're obviously praying for a healthy neurotypical child, but at the end of the day, you just find the tools to navigate something that's otherwise. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, so we're still very early on, but um, oh. it's been a huge thing to just process how that looks and it's such a big conversation and there's a few podcasts that I listen to with um, disabled children and medically complex families about is it the right thing to have more children or is it too much or how do you navigate it? How do you go about conception and and then even birthing options? It's, it's um, yeah, it stumped me because I've obviously always come from a more natural position, but then for a hot minute I just thought, are you better off in the hospital? Because I'm now in the circle that I've run in over the last year, which is 
quite sad, you know, things have gone wrong. I see Mm. how no matter what you do, it's kind of out of your control. It's going to happen anyway. So it's just been a big mind thing to see what is the best path and all of my high and mighty thoughts on, you know, one certain way is the best way to birth. It's not. You can have any type of birth and it can feel empowered and beautiful and, yeah, incredible. So it's just how it feels for you at the time. Um, So that's been a really humbling perspective to have and, and I think yeah, having, so much more now. I think having siblings surrounding Ollie, like how special is that? That love and the support. It's, it's beautiful. It's definitely, and that's been a big thing too. I mean, we've always wanted three children, so it wasn't a case of, oh, well, it didn't turn out how we wanted. Let's try again. We always knew we wanted three, and I have just heard so many stories of having more more siblings really does kind of help them. It boosts them up and it kind of makes them work a little bit harder. And especially for my older son, you kind of sit down and consider what his life would look like when he's older. And if Ollie still requires a lot of care, I don't really want him to be alone in that. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of made my desire for three even more in the, in the hopes that he'd have another support system there if Ollie does require more care and we're not around so it's just it changes so many thoughts of the future yeah when you're giving and, something like that and have you noticed since falling pregnant again now like a mental shift are you feeling excited yeah. is there something else in the air now it's it yes we've definitely both thought that because this pregnancy also came slightly easier than we had anticipated and let's <laughs> just say it was a good few months earlier than we had planned. Um, <laughs> but the sense of ease that has come with that has kind of been like, wow, it feels like this might be the calm that we that we need in our family. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's something really hopeful to look forward to. And, yeah, no, we are excited. There's definitely a lot of fears um, that pop up. Yeah, in many ways, which I'm sure so many women have anyway. Um, but it does still feel like intuitively that things are okay and everything seems to be going really, really fine. So it's a weird, it's a weird mix of emotions. Yeah, sure. <laughs> There's a lot of lot of thoughts going on. But yeah, no. Yeah. Um, and that's why we have yeah. nine or ten months to prepare. I know, we've both said that. <laughs> and, uh, yeah you'll be just fine and I think that's so beautiful thank you for sharing that oh my gosh yeah. so exciting yeah <laughs> yes we'll see how how that unfolds yeah well thank you so much for sharing all of this with us no, so thank you so beautiful. much for creating a platform to share stories are always so amazing and make you feel a lot less alone in so many yes. situations so. yeah yeah Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Bloom Birth Stories. If you enjoyed, please subscribe and share with a friend. And if you'd like to share your story, reach out. You can find me over on Instagram at Kate Bloom Doula. See you next week, beautiful.